Yo, and welcome into week seven of pre-gaming the SEC brought to you by Walk On Sports Bistro, always online at walk-owns.com. Find a location near you. And like we tell you, every single week, chances are, if you're an SEC fan listening to this podcast, there's already a location that is near you or one that is coming very soon. Again, walk-owns.com. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring here with you for another week. CD, we've got some games that we have to recap. We've got some games that we need to look forward to. It is starting to heat up, not only in college football, but certainly in the Southeastern Conference. No doubt about it. It is a uh, fun week seven in college football with what well, we got seven ranked on ranked games that'll take place this weekend with a number of. I think them. if you count in both polls, you have the AP and the coaches poll, you can make up seven. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you, and it, you don't get that that often. No, you don't get that often, and you don't get the headline game like you have here this week all that often either, man. I know the Tennessee fans have uh, been longing for a meaningful game like this for a long time, and having it uh, come with Alabama, one of their fiercest rivals historically, makes it even more sweet. So I think uh, all of us, whether you're a, an SEC fan in general, just a football fan, uh, you can appreciate what those fan bases must be feeling like, particularly Tennessee as they head into this home game against the Tide. Yeah, certainly a game we are going to dive into. They've been waiting a long time for this one. They've lost 15 in a row to Alabama, 16 of 17. But my goodness, it feels like they have an opportunity to change that narrative here in this week. And again, we will get to that game. But let's start it off like we do every single week. And it is hold my beer. We pass out beers across the league, someone that had a special performance or a team that had a special performance or maybe a position group that had a special performance. Don't, don't limit it to that, Hess. I mean, it's not just that. It's like, hey, sometimes you, you thought that was bad. Here is an exceptionally bad <laughs> circumstance as well. I mean, oh. I think that's actually the origin of the saying is, hey, hold, hold my beer here while I go out and do this uh, terrible uh, idea. Yeah, it, it is. We tried to change the narrative a little bit. You know, we're trying to like, hey, hold my beer while I go do something great. But you're right. Like the origin story of this is, hey, you think you're bad. Wait till you see what I can yeah. do. So, And that and that's what I'm fair. kind of struggling with right here. I'm struggling because this hold my beer could either be painted as a positive or it could be something that is uh, another team's negative. So it sounds to me like you'd prefer that I paint the positive light, which I, I will probably do here with this. And I'm going to I'm going to do that with the front seven of Alabama last week. They got after. Uh, Haynes King on 55% of the dropbacks in that game. Now, certainly you can credit some of that success for Alabama's pass rush with what's been an all, all-time uh, kind of weak offensive line and pass protection situation for the Texas A&M team. But I just look at Will Anderson. And Will Anderson's tackles, they're not going to really tell the story. Uh, didn't have a ton of statistics that are measurable in the, in the typical uh, tackles, sacks, tackle for loss categories, right. but in terms of quarterback hurries, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy have eight quarterback hurries, part of that 15 or 14 quarterback hurry total that Alabama was able to uh, rack up against Texas A&M Saturday night. Yeah, that's not a bad one. And that is a front seven that we know they have a ton of talent. So it's, it's no surprise that you're starting to see them be the front seven that we knew they could be, that they're probably going to continue to be. Now, I know Texas A&M has struggled on the offensive line, but there's a couple of offensive lines struggling in the SEC that still Alabama has on their schedule. Since you went kind of with a, 
a couple of position groups, defensive line and linebacker there for Alabama. I'm going to go running backs, Mississippi State, hold my beer. Mm -hmm. Now, Will Rogers was fantastic, 31 of 48, 395, three tuds. But Mississippi State rushed 37 times for 173 yards and three touchdowns. This rushing attack is giving Mike Leach and his coaching staff the ability that if you want to continue to rush three, drop eight, we can take full advantage of it with Johnson and Marks, and they've done it a couple of games now. And if you get that production, CD, you and I talked about this yesterday. If you get that production from that room, because we know Will Rogers is going to show up and show out, we're talking about a completely different Mississippi State team. No doubt about it. And I think some of the credit actually goes to Mike Leach himself, uh, the grandfather of the air raid offense, probably the one that was the most adamant about not acquiescing to some of these other yeah. ideas that uh, had been inserted into his air raid about running the football. Finally realized, I think, that, hey, if I'm going to survive in this conference, I'm going to have to evolve a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting to me, Hester, that um, it, it almost went full circle from where we saw Barry Odom's Arkansas defense kind of originate that drop eight coverage yep. to defend the air raid uh, back in 2020, ultimately led to, to KJ Costello kind of losing that job through three interceptions that day. Will Rogers started to get some run in the following week and ultimately took over the, the, the starting job a little later in the season. But to come full circle, play that same Arkansas defense, play the same defensive coordinator in Barry Odom, see the same defense, and now have evolved two years later to being willing to not only running the ball, but understanding, hey, man, we can have a lot of production there. 37 carries, as you talked about, is something we yeah. never would have seen before. And they got their first 100-yard rusher in, uh, in in the tenure there of, of Mike Leach in Starkville. Yeah, so like those numbers don't jump off the page for every team, but for this team, they do jump off the page. Great point by you. First 100-yard rusher since Mike Leach takes over there at Mississippi State. So it's all in context of what they try to do. But if they can do that, that for them is like another team running for 300 yards. So you have to kind of look at who they are, what their identity is, and can they change it up in somebody, if someone tries to take their identity away. And so for me, that that's why it was such a big step, CD. It, it's honestly just a, a matter of keeping a team honest, right? I mean, if, if they're... Yeah. If there's really no threat of the run game whatsoever, teams don't have to really pay much attention to it. But now you're no. seeing a lot of times where Will Rogers, and this is part of his maturation process too, understanding you know number counts at the line of scrimmage, helping get his team in the right plays there, having some opportunities, um, you know, check with me's or RPOs where he's able to to make some calls based upon what the defense is presenting him in, in yeah. terms of numbers. So I think it it just has it's been a great story so far this season. I'm going to continue to say it. The Mississippi State Bulldogs are no longer this gimmicky team that has a fun kind of offense and a quirky coach. It's a real team that I think is in the competition for not only, you know, that third best team in the SEC label that we've been discussing for so long, but also a team that I think can honestly vie for the SEC West Championship this year. And I completely agree with you. And we've talked about it on multiple platforms before. I just didn't understand the the way they were getting ignored in the offseason. We'll get to Mississippi State a little bit later on, but they're just getting ignored, and I felt like they had a building block. They had the most production in the SEC, seventh most in the country coming back. It's like, why are we not talking about this team? And they're proving that we should have been talking about Mississippi State. Uh, 
before we get to last call, one last hold my beer, because if we want to use this in the way that it's really intended, uh, LSU special teams, if yeah. we want to give out a whole special my beer teams, is, it's funny. It's kind of an ironic name. That yeah. was anything but special in that game. Has, it hasn't been all year, right? No. It's been a struggle for them. They lost the first game against Florida State. You have a couple of block kicks, one being the tying extra point to send the game to overtime. And it's just you have the opening kickoff where you fumble the ball give it back to a high-powered offense they go a couple of plays later and score and then you go three and out you punt it to them they basically return it to the same area that they got it after the fumble kickoff now the defense bows their neck up holds them to three but it's 10 to nothing like that it's because of special teams i have been on an nfl team that has the number one offense and the number one defense in the nfl Think about that. Think how hard that is to do. I don't I know like if the, actually the only time that it's ever been done. I was going to say, I don't know if I've seen many instances of that. Yeah, ever we had before. the number one offense and the number one defense in the NFL. We were 32nd in special teams. It cost us a playoff spot. You know how hard it is to be the number one offense and defense in the NFL, not make the playoffs? Well, we did it <laughs> there for the Bush League Bolts one year in San Diego. <laughs> it is a phase. I wish people would understand it's a phase. It, you're not too cool to play special teams, right? On our national championship team, I was the right guard on punt and the starting running back. The left guard on punt was an all-American safety, Craig Stelts. All-American, first team, unanimous. Our gunner was our leading receiver early set. okay? Go out there, help your team. Some of it's personnel, some of it's going to be scheme, but whatever it is, you got to get it fixed because it's going to lose you games. It's not the reason they lost. I think yeah. Tennessee's just a better team, but it doesn't help when you're down 10 to nothing before you blink. We'd already talked about what that environment might be like playing at 11 a.m. there in Central Time. Um, the crowd seemed like they were ready to go, and that, part of the yeah. crowd makeup was a large swath of, of Tennessee orange and white, which I was a little surprised by. You were there in person, so you probably could tell me a little bit more about what that distribution looked like. But I was watching, trying to get ready to head over to the studio, and I heard some cheers, and I was like, oh, LSU must have done something good. Go out there and see that it's Tennessee that actually had done something good. So yeah. it was a little surprising in a lot of manners, uh, but the, the the fumble on the opening kick, and I feel bad for Jack Besh. Um, the report that was given during the game, I think it was from uh, Todd McShay, said that he actually had switched with the other up back right before yeah. the kick in an effort to, I guess, handle the where he expected the ball to go. Uh, the guy has great hands. He's been a great player, but in that instance made a, a mistake that certainly put them in a deep hole to get going. Yeah, what happened was real quick. So the ball flew off the tee. I think, you know, wind knocks it over, whatever. And after it happens a second time, the referee makes a, a member of the kicking team come hold the ball. Well, usually you get like the L1 to come hold it and you'll kick it to the right or whatever. Well, they actually took the R1. He came and held it and then they kicked it right, which you just never do. Yeah. LSU confusion doesn't handle the situation. Well, you see Jack Bash kind of switched there at the last moment, runs up, tries to catch it on a run. It hits the ground and Tennessee goes up again, seven and nothing in the blink of an eye. Do you have any more hold my beers before we get the last I call? I think we're good. Uh, let's 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 move into the last call portion of the show and our All final right. reflections back on week six. All right, now let's welcome in our third member of the team here, Big Terp, to go through the list of last call. Big Terp, what we got? Where are we starting? Let's start with that game. Let's start with that LSU-Tennessee game. And uh, we just talked LSU special teams, so I'll give you guys a chance to get Tennessee here real quick before we come back to LSU. But, uh, yeah, huge win for Tennessee there going into Baton Rouge and just dominating, like you said, start to finish. So let's go last call Tennessee here. Uh, I mean, I, I can start this one pretty go quick. And I'll be short. 
Hendon Hooker, as my 13-year-old son would say, he's Hemothy because he is him. <laughs> he is that guy. He is the dude. Whatever you want to label it, he's that guy. Okay? He makes this team so much better because he is so efficient in the offense. He runs that offense at, at such a high level. He doesn't force the football. He looks comfortable in every situation. He's going to take what you give him. He's not going to force anything. He needs to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony because he's not slowing down. This is going to be the pace that he's going to be on all season long. I think they would be good if Milton was the quarterback. They have a chance to be great because Hendon Hooker is the quarterback. No, I agree with you on Hooker. And I, I, ironically, I think this was anything but the best outing for Hendon Hooker and for the offense in general. I went back and watched the tape a couple times this week. They missed some open throws that could have been even bigger difference makers in that game. Uh, had some accuracy issues a couple times. The receivers didn't make plays when they had a couple times. And I think that's the ultimate compliment you can give a team has. Yeah. Like, hey, we didn't play our best, but we still went out there and dominated a football game against a very worthy opponent. The part that I'd like to recognize, too, is the defense, particularly the, 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 the front seven. Got after Jaden Daniels a lot. And I know that the offensive line was down with Will Campbell being Oof. out at the left tackle position and Garrett Dellinger leaving the game uh, early on as well. Certainly, Tennessee knew that, and they took advantage of it. Lots of twists up front, a lot of different uh, movement to, to, to present some trouble that not only pressured Jaden Daniels, but they got home five times, Byron Young having two of those. So you're seeing this team evolve a little bit defensively. I still have some concerns about the secondary. LSU wasn't able to test that secondary the same way that, that Florida was a couple weeks earlier. But I think that's why one of the biggest things that we'll keep our eye on as we look forward is Bryce Young's health. I mean, I think that's going to be the yeah. ultimate difference maker in this ball game. Can you have a quarterback that can attack and challenge that that potential Achilles heel for Tennessee's team? Yeah, as we go to the other team in this game, Big Turp, let's just go ahead and get into LSU. They're just not ready for a game like this against an opponent like this. CD mentioned turning on the tape and seeing TE twists and ET stunts and all. Yes, Tennessee had success with that. You shouldn't. Tennessee was telegraphing every time they did it. It was something that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, at the big screen at the game, right? I'm like, oh, twist, twist, T-E. It's going to be a T. Look at the depth. The end's a, a full yard behind him. He's either dropping or he is going to stunt. And with the way the nose was shaded as a one shade on the center, I'm like, oh, well, he's not dropping. He's coming in a T-E stunt. LSU didn't adjust to it. And credit to Tennessee. If you're not going to adjust to it, it might be basic. You might have people on the sidelines calling it out. But if you're not going to adjust, I'm not going to stop. The guards got too heavy into the tackle. They turned their numbers to the sideline, which you absolutely never do. The end just had an easy path. They looked like someone running the 200 at a track meet. He's just bending around, right? And you get to the quarterback there. And there's a lot of stuff. I mean, we could sit there, CD, you and I could go through the tape. We could point out 10 plays of plays to be had, and LSU didn't make them. I think LSU is going to win some games down the stretch, probably against some teams that they're going to be underdogs. But in a game like that, getting down the way they did, they're just not there enough yet, not really close enough yet to be able to go overcome that and win a game. You can get down 17 to nothing yeah. against Auburn, and you can win a game. Even 13 to nothing against a really good Mississippi State team and come back and win that one. But Tennessee, I think, and where they're at and the way they play offense, you weren't coming back from that. Yeah, Tennessee did a great job of any time there was even an inkling of momentum for LSU, mm -hmm. Tennessee went down and, and completely took control of the, the game again with a, a long drive for a touchdown you know, or a stop when they needed it. So it's uh, 
it's it's interesting to look. I think we're starting to see some of the tiers kind of separate themselves in the conference a little bit more where we right. thought in the middle of the conference there was maybe eight or nine teams heading into the season that were very similar. I think we're starting to see that next group of three or four separate and, and try to push towards the top where Georgia and Alabama have been categorized. All right, Big Terp, where are we going next? All right, let's go. Let's, that topic exactly, CD. One of those teams – Mississippi State, another team that they beat, we thought could have been in that group, Arkansas, uh, 40 to 13 final in this one. Mississippi State just dominated. Obviously, KJ Jefferson did not play. Let's start with Mississippi State here. Let's start happy, then go sad. We'll start with UCD. Last call on Mississippi State. Well, I go back to kind of what Hess talked about earlier, the willingness of, of Mike Leach and his offense to run the football against some of the different defenses that, that we've seen for the last couple of years, dropping eight into coverage, three down fronts. Like that to me shows that uh, there's a, a uh, an evolution, a growth taking place there. I also think, you know, defensively, Zach Arnett's team on our defense on that side of the ball He's been really good, particularly in the red zone. And I go back to the stats. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, Arkansas gave, or, or excuse me, uh, Arkansas had too many big plays. Mississippi State's defense allowed Hornsby to, to, to make some, some plays with his arm and with his legs. The bottom line is keeping them out of the end zone. It's, it's a, it's a, can our offense score? Can our defense stop somebody? And the last two weeks, particularly that uh, Mississippi State defense has been really good down in the red zone with some takeaways and stops against Texas A&M two weeks ago. Last week, three trips down there for Arkansas, only came away with seven points. And the, I thought that the, the early stop down there on fourth and one has, was a big tone setter for the game in terms of what the physicality of, of Mississippi State's defense was going to be like. Yeah. Typically, we think of Arkansas as being the more physical team, but I thought Mississippi State took it to them in, in a lot of ways in terms of physicality on both sides of the ball. Yeah, the physicality of Mississippi State doesn't get talked about enough. And you and I, when we were on off campus yesterday, we were talking about the physicality of UCLA. And I think people just assume, like they assume with Chip Kelly and they assume with Mike Leach that it has to be this certain style. But that's just not the case. When you turn on the Mississippi State team, certainly that defense and Zach Arnett, they want to be aggressive. They want to be physical. And they were the more physical team. That's been the most surprising thing for Arkansas as well. Defensively, they haven't been that because the last two years before this, what did I always say about Arkansas, man? They want to get you to the ground with bad intentions. They want to be physical. They tackle when nobody else wants to tackle. You're just not seeing that. You're seeing it on Mississippi State sideline. You're not seeing it for Arkansas, and that's been probably the most surprising thing. I know Arkansas lost a lot defensively because of graduation, because of transfers, but just the nature and the style that they've been playing has been surprising. And then Mississippi State has been so much more physical at the point defensively, but also offensively. I mean, this is a team that, yes, they're an air raid team, but I never thought I'd say this about a Mike Leach team. You're going to feel that you played them on the next Monday and Tuesday. They're like yeah. cold tub games right now, which is <laughs> odd, but that's that's the case. And so for me, Mississippi State, they're in the conversation to be the third best team in the SEC. And the college football playoff runs through Mississippi State. They've got Alabama. They've got Georgia. They've got Kentucky. They've got some game. Now, Kentucky's not in the CFP conversation. But don't mess around and let, and let Mississippi State get on a run. I mean, yeah. who knows what the, what the ceiling can be, but they're a real football team that can beat anybody left on their schedule. Of course, they've got the Egg Bowl at the end of the year. Ole Miss is undefeated yeah. still. So even if you just take Alabama, Georgia, and Ole Miss, 
I mean, that's CFP implications in all three of those games at this point in the season. No doubt. A lot more difficult than uh, it. That's just within, you know, the, the conference schedule. It's a lot more difficult than a lot of teams will play uh, for the entirety of yeah. their, their season in, in other conferences. So let, let, I want to circle back to Arkansas real quick, Big Turp, uh, just to final reflections on them. Has hit a little bit on how surprising the defensive uh, letdown has been this year. Um, they're now on a three-game losing streak. They're heading to BYU, and we'll talk a little bit more about that game as we preview um, the upcoming week. But like, it's amazing how the storyline can change how you ride momentum, good and bad. I thought Arkansas rode a lot of positive momentum last year when things were going well. We did. Everything seemed to fall their way. This year, you're already hearing some dissension in the fan base. Some of the callers that we have on on our, our uh, Monday and Friday show, SEC This Morning on Sirius XM and on, on the SEC Network, there are a lot of, of disgruntled hogs that call in right now calling for the job of, of Barry Odom, calling for the job of Kendall Bryles, which is unheard of to think about that just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this was yeah. th- these were considered to be the two best, you know, the, the team maybe with the two best coordinators on it. The reason why, in a large part, they'd had so much success in the first two years that Pittman and his staff had been in Fayetteville. And to think now that there's not only a lot of outside noise, but the actual product on the field looks that much different defensively with the blown assignments, with yeah. the lack of ability to tackle, with the inability to, to cover anybody in the secondary. And I know they've dealt with some injuries, and I know that you know there's even more questions this week heading into to Arkansas's game at BYU, but like it just looks so different than the product that's been out there the last two years on the yeah. defensive side. You wonder kind of, was it Grant Morgan and Hayden Henry's influence, those guys out there from a, a presence standpoint, from a production Catalan, standpoint? Catalan, Brooks. Yeah. A lot of different guys that have ended up elsewhere for one reason or another. And to think about where they are and how they're playing now, is just really surprising. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a coordinator tandem that I thought was as high as, as anybody in the league coming in as far as what you had on both sides, like you said. And now the fact that you're getting calls about that, it's pretty wild. Only a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of weeks. I mean, we're, we're six weeks in going into seven, but still that's a wild narrative considering what we talked about in the preseason. All right, Big Turp, what we got next? All right, let's go. SEC East game from last week. Florida came out on top 24-17 over Missouri. So we'll hit both of these teams. But, uh, CD, we'll start with you and your Gators, man. Last call. I think the the biggest thing as we look back on last week is the pattern that we've seen throughout the first half of the season. A great game, a a, a terrible game, a great game, a terrible game. This team is the ultimate in, in inconsistency. They are consistently inconsistent. And I kind of thought heading into the season, this team would go as far as what Anthony Richardson could take them. And what I mean yeah. by that is like, this is a guy that doesn't necessarily have the, the refined tools that you need. You, you got all the natural skills, but you know, can you limit the peaks and valleys? Can you play at a consistent level from week to week? And we have seen anything but that at this point in time with as good as he looked against Missouri, uh, excuse me, as good as he looked against Tennessee a couple weeks ago to come back against Missouri and throw for 66 yards after throwing for 450-plus against the Vols, to have only run the ball five times once in the first half, and three of those, two or three of them being scrambles off of the yeah. called pass plays. Like, it's really surprising to me, and I don't really know where to put my finger on it, Hess. Like, is this a play-calling situation? 
Is this a player that's unwilling to because he's nervous about getting hurt? Are they trying to preserve him in some way for some future games? It's just the offense doesn't look the way that we saw it when it was really clicking yeah. at all levels at Utah and, and, and in the uh, Tennessee game. Just running the ball in general and the lack of just fully committing to it has been a little bit of a surprise. Now, I know they only threw 14 passes in this game. But if, I, if I'm Billy Napier and I'm kind of creating my lineup, Johnson and Etienne get a bulk of the touches in the running back room. Now, I know Wright's kind of been the starter, but it's like Etienne right now is averaging almost seven yards a carry. Johnson's averaging almost – I think, you know, I think he is at eight yards per carry. Like, and he's only getting eight carries in the game. He, he, he's amongst the – if you go in and look at the leaders in the SEC in yards per carry – He's right there with Jameer Gibbs and is it Rocket Sanders? There's one other one that's in that same group of three where they're all right. around eight yards per carry. Well, my point is, like, you know him. Like, you've coached him for a while now. He, he comes over with you. Like, feature Johnson and Etienne. Like, let them become a major. Like, I would love to see 20 personnel, whatever it is. Like, they're ready. They're ready to take over. A receiver, I still have a ton of question marks for the Florida Gators, but at running back, I don't. And I think you have two answers. I want to see them create an offense, which I think they can. I've seen it at Louisiana Lafayette when Billy Napier was the head coach there, right? And when Rob Sell was the coordinator there. Like, I've seen it. I know they can do it. It's been done before because I think that could be effective with the talent that you have. I would, I would, be, I would be trying to scheme up some things that featured those three uh, players, Richardson, Johnson, and ETN together at the same time in the backfield. Yeah, I, I think the surprising thing about this team for me as a guy that, that follows the program as closely as I do is just how good this offensive line has been. It really is, has been a little bit of a, a, a weak point the last couple seasons. The run game hasn't been all that productive, and maybe it's a lack of focusing on it given how well Damian Pierce is playing at the – the NFL level as a rookie, but um, th this is, that's clearly, a whole different conversation yeah, we could have about him. Another story there, for sure, the ball. Yeah. a guy that definitely um, emphasizes the run game uh, Napier, uh, a large part of what they did at Louisiana Lafayette and certainly what they're trying to do here, but the offensive line has answered the bell. And um, I would, I'm with you. Let, let's run the football more. Let's feature those two guys and let's get Anthony Richardson involved yeah. consistently in some of that read option game, get him outside the pocket, let him use his legs. Cause I honestly think his success running the ball helps him throwing the football. I help. I think it helps his confidence. And yeah. I think it helps him from thinking too much, something that great athletes get slowed down by when they're having to process things rather than just reacting. Yeah. And real quick, I'm, I'm going to be quick on Mizzou. Blake Baker has done a hell of a job with this defense. Eli's got them focused and locked in. They're fighting like hell. They just, they don't have the horses. They don't have the Jimmys and Joes to go win these games. I mean, the Auburn game, you should have won it, but you're right there. You come back against Georgia. You give just this Hercules effort. Then you come back and you go on the road to Florida. You give another great effort. It's not hitting right now as far as wins, but Missouri is showing a ton of fight. They are showing a ton of fight, and I did not expect that. And I think it's a good sign because I, I've heard folks early in the season talk about Eli Drinkwitz, what his – his future there in Como is when you see a, a team that plays as hard as what Missouri does week in and week out, despite disappointing losses, the way that they suffered uh, one in overtime against Missouri, the way that they lost that Georgia game in the fourth quarter to continue to be able to refill the tank, play as hard as these guys play 
leads me to believe as they continue to upgrade the roster, you're going to have a team that ascends a little bit from where they are right now. So I feel good about the future for them. Drink has shown that he can recruit. He's definitely uh, making inroads in and around the state there of, of Missouri. So I, I like the fact that um, this team has shown kind of the, the fight that they have and, and what that tells me about the future for them. All right, where are we going next, Big Turk? Let's go Georgia. Georgia beat up on Auburn 42-10. They won by 32 points. That will come up later in the show, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we'll go Georgia first, Auburn second. Hass, what you got on the dogs? I mean, look, Georgia, they're up 14 to nothing at half. Auburn's got enough Jimmys and Joes to play with Georgia for a half, the second half, and in the fourth quarter, they dominate. I don't really care that it took them four quarters to pull away. Like, that's what a Georgia team is going to do. They're going to beat up on you. They're going to find a way at the end to pull away. Auburn's got a lot of issues. We've talked about those issues here on this podcast. I know it's kind of a ho-hum, 42-10 to 10 win for Georgia, but look, they did what they had to do. Stetson Bennett was efficient, didn't light the world on fire, okay? They ran the football 39 times for 300 yards. That was the game plan. They ran for six touchdowns. So that was the game plan coming in. I thought the defense played well. Again, I know it's 42 to 10. It's a 32-point victory you covered, but nobody's feeling great about it. Go back and watch the All-22. I think you'll feel better about it. Now we can get to the other team. The Auburn Tigers, I don't think you'd feel great about that at all. But, C.D., what about Georgia? Well, let's talk about Georgia because I, I, I think the way that you kind of interpreted that game and how Georgia wants to play is similar to what I described on, on Saturday night after the game and again on Monday. It felt like a, a very slow, methodical disposal of an uh, uh, opponent, almost yeah. like a boa constrictor squeezing <laughs> out its prey, right? It just is, yeah. is a team that decided that they were going to continue where they left off after the Missouri game, the fourth quarter, when they leaned on the run game, they leaned on the offensive line and they were able to answer. I thought that they got back to their roots. The foundation of this Georgia program under Kirby smart is playing great defense and being physical in the run game. And I think that maybe we all got a little enamored with Georgia against uh, Oregon with the way they were throwing the ball around the yard and, and, yeah. and forgot a little bit about who this team is. And maybe they forgot about it too. And maybe it was a great reminder for them, but I, I really am encouraged by what I saw because the offensive line had been really poor. I don't know what you thought about their play. No, yeah. We one. talked about it. I think we were all fair, but you and I were, were texting back and forth about some of the struggles they had. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you, I don't know if you, had a chance to watch the all 22 of the, the Georgia offense, but the offensive line, I have to imagine scored better than they had in yeah. previous week with some of the grades that we'd seen from Pope football. Yeah. Pope. Look, I mean, I'm a little bit of a sicko when it comes to film. Yes. I watched the all 22 of a game that was like you mentioned a little slow burn, if you will, but yeah, they did play better. Uh, Missouri game. They struggled. Yeah. I thought, sure. they, the I, I thought they struggled with assignment. They struggled with technique. They came back and they fixed a lot of that against look for all the struggles that that Auburn has and they've got more issues than Vogue. Their defensive front is actually still pretty solid. And that so took me to, a second. <laughs> I, I never heard that. One. That must be like some Louisiana uh, analogy. Yeah, right? More issues than Vogue. Look, Vogue put, puts out an issue at least every month. All right. So it's a lot Do of issues. Still? I don't even know I if think there's so. like real magazines that can I mean, send maybe, out. Maybe look, I hadn't seen any, anybody come to the front door and try to sell me a subscription to a magazine, but I'm sure they're still out there somewhere. You don't there's still those, a lot of issues. You don't get those black plastic sleeved magazines that used to come once a month back in the day. No, I don't get those either. No <laughs> magazines being delivered to the house. So, um, 
<laughs> it took you, it did take you a while. Um, Auburn's defense fronts at least still like very solid, right? That's so the strength of their team. It's, no just, it, it's really, I mean, that in the running back room is about it. Yeah. And so for Georgia to get their get right game against that front, I think that tells you all you need to know. And I think anybody, if you ever talk to, and luckily I have the benefit of every Saturday sitting next to, <coughs> excuse me, benefit of sitting next to two guys that played in this Auburn-Georgia series. I know TK's neck is big, but it makes you that nervous where you yeah, get choked I, up. I'm I not even it. near him, and it's choking me up a little bit. But the uh, the the both of them spoke about the history of this rivalry and in, in the focus on physicality, how physical that game is every single year. And I think Kirby, having played in that that rivalry, I think he yeah. made it a point to, to emphasize his team what the history of that rivalry is about and went out with a game plan to show that they were the much more physical team. Um, I thought it was interesting that the center, I believe it was the center council that said before the game that Auburn was going to go in there and, and punch him in the mouth and basically get out of town with a, a victory kind of all svelte, uh, like secret agent wise. I don't even know what he said. I don't remember undercover or something, but I mean, why would you even want as bad as that offensive line has been all year long? Why would you even want to draw attention to what you're doing there or wake the sleeping dog on the defensive line that you're playing in the upcoming game? No, that's not something I would do. That is not what I call a recipe for success. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the Auburn Tigers. Look, they're just – right now they don't have it. They don't have the pieces. They don't have the quarterback. He was 13 of 38. I'll say mm -hmm. that again, 13 of 38. You've got some really good running backs. They're even, I think, like they're underutilized in the run game and the passing game. Like they're really good receivers. You don't utilize those guys. Okay, I don't know why you chose – to do that, they do have all those issues that we joked about. This team and, and a lot of things around it, we expect to look fully different in the offseason. Yeah, it, it is, is what a, it is. It, it is a much different picture than I think we had all hoped for, and there are a lot of uh, rumblings going on in the uh, the Auburn area right now for sure. All right, Big Chuck, right, where we go next? Let's hit Vandy real quick before we hit Ole Miss. Vandy got up early. You know, there's a lot. There was, it was yeah. somewhat of a trendy pick, Vandy plus 17. It was looking good early. I think Peter Burns even threw out a little uh, Vandy money line prediction at one point. Um, well, and then Ole Miss just surely, surely he didn't say that out loud. I, I don't know. If, I'm going to defend him a little bit. I don't know if he said money line. I think he said it, it would be close until the end. And I certainly got the halftime text that reminded me what he said in that ball game. Did Only you get the, the Did you get the fourth quarter text? I didn't. I didn't get the late third, early fourth quarter text from him. Weird. I think he may have been doing something yeah. with his kids, probably at that point. But, Weird. Yeah, but um, 52-28 final. So Ole Miss yeah. wins by 24. But let's start with Vandy here. Well, I'll say this, Hess. Like I think you and I both really like Clark Lee and respect mm -hmm. Clark Lee as a as a a guy that played the game, the position you played, and, and you talking all awful lot about the grit that that position requires. I, I see Vanderbilt playing with a lot of grit. I see them as a reflection of their coach in a lot of ways with the fight that they have and what they are trying to be. The problem is they just don't have the dudes. They don't have the depth of dudes to do it. They could do it. They had a good plan. I thought they, yeah. they took away the run game, which is something that, that Missouri, or excuse me, Mississippi, had hung their hat on as kind of the focal point of the offense, uh, but they just didn't have the the depth of talent to be able to hang in there. They didn't really have a counterpunch for Ole Miss's counterpunch when they decided to start throwing the football. Yeah. That was maybe the biggest issue that I saw was right before halftime, Vandy scores to go up 20-10. They got all the momentum in the world. Ole Miss gets the ball back with about a minute and a half to go. They go right down the field. 
basically off of a long Mingo pass down to the inside the five that led to a touchdown. And then the roll was on for Ole Miss's offense. And uh, Miss Ole Miss, or excuse me, Vandy had no real answer for that. But I, I do respect the fight that Vandy has, the game plan they come in with. I just, I think they're fighting a battle uh, a little shorthanded right now. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I thought Vanderbilt actually got good quarterback play. I thought their running backs played well. I thought their receivers played well. I even think their defense, when you look at the scheme, played the scheme well. Now, with their limitations as far as personnel, if the other team throws a counterpunch because you take away what they do really well, you're just not in a position to be able to succeed off that counterpunch. And that's what Ole Miss did. Yeah. Like Jackson Dart, they were like, hey, you're going to have to beat us. It's going to have to be you. It's not going to be the running game. And early in the game, Jackson Dart didn't look like he had the ability to do it. But then he started to find his way. He throws for 448 yards in this contest. But it took him a while to get into the flow of the game. And so everything that Vanderbilt probably wanted coming into this game, it worked for them. They just don't have the ability if the other team goes to their plan B yeah. for them to go to a plan B right now. And, and on that Ole Miss side, I, I actually think this was the best thing that could have happened to the Rebels, a team that was the number one rushing offense in the conference. Uh, Jackson Dart hasn't necessarily been put in a position to where he was going to have to win the game. Uh, I thought he actually responded really well. This was on the heels of a performance against Kentucky that I thought I saw growth. I thought I saw comfort. I thought I saw command in even though it didn't necessarily reflect uh, verbatim in, in completion percentage, I thought he made some nice throws in that game that ultimately carried over to this one. Uh, they were intent on, on taking some shots down the field. The, Jonathan Mingo had a, the best day in the history of the Ole Miss receiving core, and that's speaking to a lot of guys that have come through there. You look recently at uh, um, Elijah... Um, Elijah Moore, yeah. Elijah Moore. I, I played with a guy named Elijah Williams. I always want to go there. Elijah yeah, DK Moore. Metcalf. Yeah, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. I mean, there's been a lot of guys that have, have come through there that have been really good in recent years. And to think that Jonathan Mingo now has the single game record for receiving yards speaks volumes about the kind of game that he had. Yeah, my last call on Ole Miss, real quick, before we go to, to two more teams. We're not going to find out who you are, or we know who you are, but we're not going to find out just how serious you are because you're a top 10 team now with the ability, with what's left on your schedule, to get real interesting into some real conversations. You go at LSU, at AM, Alabama, at Arkansas, Mississippi State for the Egg Bowl at home. We'll know exactly who you are and just how serious you are at playing for a championship in Atlanta coming up. Not going to learn it this week. We will learn it very, very soon. All Let right, me ask big you a question. How, Go much, ahead. how much do you trust Ole Miss at this point in time? Hmm. I'm not fully there. I'm not fully there. I, I think there's a lot to like. But if a, a better team would have had the game plan that Vanderbilt had against them, would that better team have won? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if, if, a, if a, you know, give me any team left on the schedule would have had that opportunity. What does it look like now against Kentucky? Again, you and I talked about it yesterday. Kentucky did not take the chances they had. And certainly there were many in that game to take it over and win it. But you credit Ole Miss because when they got their chance, they made Will Levis fumble. They jump on it game over. Yeah. So I believe in them as far as being a good team. I'm not yet there to being a great team. 
you can only play the team that's on your schedule on any given Saturday, right? And I think this schedule is perfect for this Ole Miss team. It's allowed them to kind of get better. It's allowed them to kind of gel together with all the new faces that are playing important new roles on this team, both sides of the ball. So I, I think they're they're not only able to figure things out, I think they've gained a lot of confidence as yeah. well, and that'll certainly help them as they get into the meat of their SEC West schedule. All right, let's go South Carolina. Big time win for South Carolina. Ten points over Kentucky. Uh, so we'll hit Kentucky next, but let's go to fighting Shane Beamer's first. Uh, let's start with you, CD. Man, uh, I, was, I was shocked by this, uh, quite frankly. I mean, I know that there was some question heading into the game whether or not Will Levis was going to play. But let's not forget, South Carolina has been extremely banged up themselves, particularly yeah. on the defensive side of the ball, losing Mo Caba, who was a big part of that, that defense, losing Jordan Strawn, you know, maybe their best pass rusher. This has been a mash unit on that side of the ball. And for them to come out and play the way that they did. Again, I know Kentucky was playing shorthanded. Their, their offense was very limited without Levis in there. But yeah. I, thought, I thought South Carolina showed a physicality that I hadn't necessarily seen before. They haven't played well in this series against Kentucky in recent years. Uh, they haven't played well in Lexington in this series in recent years. So they were fighting a bunch of, uh, against a bunch of different trends. And I thought maybe the most encouraging thing for me, Hess, was seeing the game plan change at halftime to see Spencer Rattler get the ball out of his hands quickly. They targeted Juice Wells a couple times early. They got the ball a little bit more to Marshawn Lloyd, who had you know about 85 yards in the second half. They identified who their weapons were, and they got the ball out of their hands to, to really uh, limit any of the pass rush ability that, that Kentucky had. And Kentucky's defense wasn't able to tackle very well in the second half. I don't know yeah. whether they were worn down or exhausted from you know feeling like they had to compensate for the offense. But I, I thought that South Carolina in this game was the more physical team, which you don't often say when you're talking about a Mark Stoops coach Kentucky Wildcat team. So South Carolina is a team that you and I, I think we liked. Now we loved Kentucky, so yeah. we have to own to, to that and own up to it. But we did like South Carolina, and we started to see some of the things that we thought that they would do all season long, I think, in this game. And it was a big win for them to go on the road. And I know Will Levis didn't play, and we'll get to that. But for them to go win that game, that was crucial for them because it looked like at one point their season was going to go the complete opposite way. But now, hey, they sit there, they're 4-2, and two. They had to have this win. It was almost like a must win for them to have a building block season based off what they did a year ago. And so yeah. they went and got it. You could tell what it meant to them in the post-game locker room. I know there's some uh, some chirpiness there between the two coaches because of something that was said at SEC Media Day. So Shane Beamer still the perfect guy for that job. You're right. The halftime adjustments worked perfectly. Kentucky, it's disappointing because I thought they were ready – not only for a game against Ole Miss where you have multiple opportunities to win that game and you don't take any of them, but then it's also disappointing that you can't be without one of your best players and Will Levis and still go find a way to win a game that you're a favorite to win a game in. Now, I know they did it a lot of the season without Chris Rodriguez, but I thought they'd be able to handle even Will Levis not playing in this game and go win the game. And so it's just surprising that Kentucky – is not at that point because I thought they had finally made it to that point where there could be some adversity, but they'd still find a way to win some of these games. Yeah. I, I, I look at, you know, the, this Kentucky side of things, 
almost as if that was, and I know you can't do this, and maybe it's because I went so hard in on Kentucky in the preseason, but I almost want to have an asterisk next next to that that game because I, I think if Will Levis plays in the game, it's a, a different outcome. I think it it's clearly you know uh, asking, um, asking Sharon to to do some things that he wasn't quite ready to do yet. Uh, but I do think you're seeing signs of the offense improve with Rodriguez out there. Uh, the sacks continue to be an issue for for Kentucky's offensive line. The defense, I do really believe that they were pressing, trying to compensate for not having Levis there and doing too much, which ultimately cost them. Um, but at the end of the day, like if you were to play this game nine more times with Levis out there, don't you think that that Kentucky probably wins seven or eight of those? No, I, I do. I still do. I guess my point was just I thought they could even absorb even a loss like that and still go win a game like this. But you're right. I mean, everything you laid out, like it's still shocking that the big blue wall is giving up six sacks. And they just they haven't played well. It's been a unit that it hasn't mattered who it was. They have found a way to to play in unison as you have to do on the offensive line. And they're just not doing that. And that's been one of the biggest surprises. So I agree with you. If they played this at full strength, different outcome, probably. But I thought they were ready to be able to win a game like this, even if they weren't at full strength. Yeah. And credit South Carolina for being, you know, it wasn't like Kentucky went out there and and gave them the ball game. Um, South Carolina was hungry. They were flying around and and they they fought hard and uh, took advantage of the opportunity they had with Levis out of the out of the football game. All right. Two more here. A&M, Alabama. It almost happened again. It almost happened again, but Bama holds on. We'll start with AM and then we'll go Bama to close it out. I mean, I'll start. I mean, it was a, look, it was a nice effort by Texas AM. I, I thought they did a lot of things in the game to put themselves in position because everybody's going to point to the turnovers. Well, I mean, you got to credit AM. They created some of those turnovers, and this was a 24 point spread. That was a it was a big number. And this is a couple of years in a row that it's been a big number, and they found a way to be in the ball game. I uh, thought they were a better team last year than they are this year, but they they found a way on the road in a game that had every storyline coming into it that we thought would point to Alabama's favor and running them out of the building. It didn't happen. Now, Bryce Young didn't play in this game. Let's make no mistake about it. That's the Heisman Trophy winner. That's a top three player in all of college football, regardless of position. But that was going to be a way that Texas A&M could find themselves in this game. I thought Stewart had had a big day, kind of a, a coming out party for him. Uh, I thought the receivers played better. Yeah. I thought Haynes King had some moments. Was he perfect? No, not by any means, but I thought he had some certain uh, moments in this game. And so, look, they gave it, – it's almost like it felt like they emptied the tank. They emptied the tank in this matchup. They shot their shot. They tried everything they could with a backup quarterback, turnovers by Alabama, three to be exact, which, whew, I'd hate to be on that 540 meeting on Monday morning with Coach Saban. <laughs> But they did everything they could to be in this game. It was a great effort. But Alabama found a way, even with the three turnovers, with a backup quarterback, to create their advantage. Their advantage in this game was Jameer Gibbs, and they continue to do it time and time again. It doesn't always have to look pretty over the last couple of years. Yeah. But, uh, you know, go back to the Arkansas game last year, the Iron Bowl, the LSU game. Those were ugly but they won all three. This yeah. was ugly, but they yeah. won it. So that's what great teams do. They find a way. So credit to A&M for having a great effort when I didn't think you would. And credit to Alabama for finding a way without your Heisman Trophy winner to win a game. 
Yeah, we talked about Missouri kind of being able to recharge and and give their best effort the last couple of weeks. With all that A&M's been through, um, you could see where maybe they might not have the juice that you would need to yeah. go toe-to-toe with Alabama. Uh, for whatever reason, they're able to get up and play well against uh, Alabama in, in recent years. Maybe that's Jimbo Fisher knowing Nick Saban as well as he does. Maybe that's just what it means to to that program when they get a chance to play the Tide. But they got to find a way to do that every other week. I mean, yeah. it, it's 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 nice to see once, but you know, I want to see that same sort of effort. I want to see that same sort of focus, the production. There was a sense of urgency for Manm that I hadn't seen before. I thought Haynes King, yeah. as you mentioned, played really well, particularly in the fourth quarter under duress. I mean, there's only so much that you're going to be able to do when you have that much pressure in your face on every single time you drop back. So I feel bad for, for Max Johnson. Uh, I feel bad for Haynes King. I feel bad for anybody else that's going to have to ultimately play behind that line because it is not <laughs> anything that uh, gives you the type of protect protection that you need. Right. But I do think that, um, and I, I liked what uh saw from them and I liked, you know, the, the fight that they had on the other side of the ball, Alabama, the blueprint for them losing or playing in tight games is very simple turning the ball over and playing poorly in special teams. They missed two field goals when they had opportunities to separate themselves. um, And they gave the ball away four times, particularly twice that led to touchdowns inside their own territory. Uh, When you give any team a short field, A&M's not good enough offensively to drive the length of the field against you against that Alabama defense. But when you give up a short field like that, it it can certainly even the playing field a little bit more. And and A&M was able to take advantage. All right, Big Terp, well, we got to finish it up on last call. That's it. That's it? That's it. I feel like we had one more game. Seven well, games. Look. We knocked them out, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we knocked it out. All right, let's uh, let's start pregaming here. We got six games on the schedule and some really good ones. Let's start with the two higher spread games real quick. And for Georgia Vandy, that spread is 38. If I, if I threw three options at you, what is – what immediately jumps out is how this will play out. Real quick, Georgia, what, was the, what was the spread when they played um, Alabama a couple weeks ago in Tuscaloosa? Oh, Alabama. in the 40s. 42, maybe? Was it 42? Let's see. That was 40 and a half. Okay. Now it's 38. Pretty similar number with Vanderbilt being on the road in both of those games, right? They were in Tuscaloosa. They're in Athens this weekend. So it's a, it's a pretty good litmus test for how you know the, the odds makers feel about these two programs that are playing Vanderbilt and uh, an opportunity for us to see how they play against a common opponent. I agree, with you. I, I agree with you. And I think 38 points, Georgia's getting back to running the football. I, inter- I interrupt. Let's, let's listen to big Terps question first. I interrupted him first. It sounds like there's some sort of indecent proposal. We'd like to hear Go ahead. What is it? <laughs> Well, no, so so. Oh yeah, you did say three options. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, let's see so the way you see this game playing out, are are you, are you seeing? This is one of those games where first quarter ends. Georgia's up twenty-one-zero. The cover is never in question. Georgia dominates and maybe gets the cover late or wins by thirty or a Missouri type game where it's surprisingly close and they win by ten. Eliminate that one. That ain't gonna happen. That ain't right? gonna happen. No, I, I don't. I don't think that's gonna happen. So we narrow it down to two. Last year has remember in Nashville. It was 35 nothing before that first quarter was over. It was the Brock Bowers coming out party in that yeah. game. That offense, that was JT Daniels' last start, I believe. They were rolling uh, offensively. But I think, I think there was a, some a little personal about that game last year. Has Remember the year before the 2020 COVID-affected season, 
Vanderbilt rescheduled that game once with Georgia and oh, yeah. canceled it. And the seniors didn't get a chance to, to have that send off in Sanford stadium that they wanted. So I think there was something a little personal. I'm curious if the same feeling lingers at all this year. It's, I think it's tough to hate Vanderbilt. Somehow Georgia found a way to get up some hate for him last year, but I'm not sure if that, that necessarily lingers at this point in time. Clark Lee's like, Whoa guys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I wasn't exactly. even here. Chill no, out. That wasn't Chill me. Out. That was wasn't me. That was not me. I think the uh, the second option you gave there, Big Terp, I think Georgia kind of slowly, a little slow burn, probably finds a way to cover this. But I think Vanderbilt will put up a fight, maybe maybe 17 to nothing at halftime. Then in the second half, Georgia's talent and depth will take over, and I can see them covering this game at the end. It's almost the same as the Auburn. Uh, the Auburn score yeah. last week was 0-0 at the end of the first quarter, right? Yeah, I feel pretty good about my 30 points. I, me too. I was right there with you, bro. But uh, it the lack of offense for Auburn, you know, really yeah. put that, that backdoor cover in uh, in peril for much of the fourth quarter. But uh, I, I I think it's the same storyline. Again, I think they've they found out, you know, who they are going to, to be the rest of the year, and that's a team that's going to play really good defense and a team that's going to run the football, and they're going to continue to challenge their running backs, and they'll take some shots, especially when A.D. Mitchell comes back. I don't know if we've heard what his timeline is for the return, but um, I, I think for now they're going to settle on who they're going to be, and that's that's a physical team on the offensive yeah. line that runs the football. All right, where are we going next, Big Terp? All right, I don't know, I don't know how much you guys have had a chance to see spread-wise, but if I said how many points is Ole Miss favored by at home against Vanderbilt, you would say uh, Vanderbilt. Oh, Miss at Vanderbilt. Oh, geez. no, no, Auburn, Auburn, Auburn. Wow, that's a bad sign for Auburn. If I'm complaining, that, hey, that <laughs> hey, that is. Uh, oof, I don't know that's Jeez. ever been done, but I don't. I don't. Yeah, Auburn at Ole thing. Miss. What do you think the spread is? Um, I seen, I've seen it, so I know. I was about to say, I'm too much of a degenerate. I think here <laughs> not to have seen that spread there, uh, Big Turp, but um. It's not crazy. I thought I thought it's 17. It's 15s where I'm seeing it currently sitting right now. I thought maybe you thought be, it should have been higher. I thought it'd be I thought it'd be 17. Yeah. Auburn's bad, guys. Auburn, bad. Auburn's, Auburn's real bad. They're bad, and, but it, Auburn, and it's in it's in Oxford. I believe what Auburn has won the last four in this big turp, I think. I mean, it's been a it's been a run of success for oh, it might even be like six. I would be shocked if they win this one, though, fellas. I mean, Ole Miss is on a different level right now than Auburn is. I'm with you. It's six in a row for Auburn. You you thought you think it should be like 10 then? No, I I thought you were saying that I was surprised to see it as a 14 point spread. Like it should have been less than that. I I thought it'd be 17. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the problem is we look at the lens of all right here. Here's Ole Miss. Here's Auburn. Traditionally how we view those teams and the success recently that Auburn's had against Ole Miss in this, and the series, but you're right. I, I go back to what we saw Penn state, Penn state ran the ball right down Auburn's throat, the way that they yes. were able to, to move the, the Auburn front seven off the line of scrimmage, the way that those running backs were able to run physically. I think it's going to be a similar challenge. And now that you have the counter punch of Ole Miss's passing game with Jackson Dart having some success last week, Makes it a more complete, challenging offense. I think this is a this is a team to me that that looks like they're on death row, right? And they're yeah. just playing out the remaining days of their lives with not a whole lot of fight left in them. Yeah, I agree, and I understand it would be tough to have that fight because of the circumstances you're under. Did you, did, look, just two different programs going two different ways. I see Ole Miss winning this one, winning it big. 
continuing the success as they get into the meat of their schedule. I don't think there is an opportunity for Auburn to win this one. So, all right, uh, let's go back to this though. Since that's the point of point spreads, right? When you're trying to compare two totally different teams, are you of the opinion that Ole Miss, and I'm not putting you on the record as taking it as a best bet, but are you, if you had to lean one way or another, would you take Ole Miss land the two touchdown plus? Oh, like if I was putting this in best bets, and again, I don't know that I will, but if I was putting it in best bets, it would be for Mississippi to cover. Yeah. 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 For sure. Tough. You learned your lesson last week taking Auburn plus the mm -hmm. 30. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> I saw Robbie Ashford throw a couple of four passes, and I'm not doing that again. Yeah. All right. We got four games left, and they're all spreads seven or lower. And I'm actually, I'm going to work up from closest spread to biggest, because that's actually, I think it's the order of interest for us here. Let's start Arkansas at BYU, which is, as we sit now, a pick em. So many factors, right? You got to yeah. think about KJ Jefferson. How healthy is he? Does he go? If he does, how much is he able to do? He's a big part of the run game as well. How much do they use him in that way? Secondly, the altitude factor, like, you know, playing yeah. at altitude is a big deal. As yeah, you, know, you and I both did that. Yeah. Yeah. We both played for Denver. Play yeah. in Denver and, and what that did to opponents coming into town. Um, I would say thirdly too, this team, you know, they haven't faced a lot of adversity under Sam Pittman the last couple of years. They've lost three in a row. Are they able to stem the tide? I, I, I have no idea. This is a, a good BYU team that lost last week in a close one to Notre Dame, but uh, a dangerous team nonetheless, particularly at home. I think Arkansas wins the game, but I'm not necessarily sure of it, given you know where this team kind of is and and feeling like the somebody's messed with the lug nuts on a, on the on the car a little bit. Yeah, I think this game being a, an absolute pick'em is exactly where I would have this game because of the location, CD. Just like you pointed out, because of the way that B, BYU kind of plays football, the way that Arkansas is struggling, and some of the things I think BYU actually does well. Do I think Arkansas has the athletes and the talent to match BYU? Yeah, absolutely I do. This was a game, though, even when I thought Arkansas was going to be at its peak and I thought Arkansas was probably going to be in the 5-1 and one range, I thought it was going to be a struggle for them. So certainly as they sit here and they limp to a 3-3 three and three record and they go to Provo, uh, I mean, a pick about all I can give you right now because I see this going either way and I wouldn't yeah. be shocked by however the outcome of this game is. But, uh We've been recording for an hour. Have we not even mentioned that it's LSU Florida week? <laughs> well, you know, you know, Big Turp, when when one school in, in a rivalry wins three in a row, four out of the last five, seven of the last nine, nine of the last 12, I can understand how you'd be an hour into it. I hear and, that uh, ringing in my ears. I've heard that same little <laughs> spiel from Hester about five times this season, particularly a couple I mean, times yeah. this week. I mean, I mean it's you've true. heard it. You've heard it in person. You've heard it uh, on Zoom. You've heard it's it on true. the phone. You've heard it on the Comrex. You know. <laughs> it, it is true. And I think the biggest thing for me, a couple storylines here, Hester, and I think you'll agree. One, people better enjoy this game for. I know. It, it's going away in a yearly basis. Eventually, this is a, a rivalry that has a long history, uh, one that both you and I participated in and, and one that I think we both enjoyed um, it, it with the new schedule coming out eventually with Oklahoma and Texas coming. It's going to be a nine game schedule. There's going to be a rotation of the, the, the rivals that you play. Um, so enjoy it while you can. Yep. And secondly, the storyline of the two coaches, the only two new coaches in the league this year, how they will ever forever be intertwined together. Yeah. The dynamic of 
hiring Napier from under LSU's nose, LSU looking down at their nose a little bit on him, trying to go in a different direction in terms of a splash hire. Very different approaches to filling those respective head coaching vacancies, but I think they'll always will be compared to one another. And this is the yeah. first time we get to see them go head to head. Yeah, undoubtedly, they're going to always be compared to each other. I mean, Billy Napier was less than an hour down the road. He had a lot of success, and I think it's a great hire for Florida. LSU wanted to go in a different direction. I agree with everything you just said. And unfortunately, we're not doing a deep dive into this game because we have better games on the slate. Yeah. And look, we're prideful in our schools, and I love what you said about the rivalry. I mean, they've played since the 70s. I mean, people don't realize that. This isn't a new thing. They've done this for a very, very – long time these schools don't like each other which always makes it even that much better i mean look cd and i we're boys but that's after the fact right i mean these <laughs> fan bases they just don't like each other and it brings some juice to this game every single year and i hate that we potentially are going to lose this game but i'm intrigued by this game you're intrigued by this game but because of the way their seasons have gone and the expectations that we always have for lsu in florida it's lost some of its luster this year doesn't mean that it can't gain it back just next year. As you said, those coaches are going to be tied together. And really for me, Florida's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. That's probably what it should be because these two teams mirror each other. They have a lot of the same issues. They have a lot of the same strengths, and I expect it to be a close game. It might even be an ugly game. Probably yeah. is going to be an ugly game with a couple of ugly plays, but you know, there's enough Jimmys and Joes on the field. There'll be some ooh-and-ah plays as well. Looking forward to it, as I always do, but Unfortunately, we're talking about two four and two teams and not two six and no teams like this game has definitely been in the past. You talked uh, a little bit about how these teams are mirror images of one another. And unfortunately, that's not a compliment in this case. I think <laughs> that it is has not. To do, that's right. It has to do with inconsistencies where we've seen some really good moments from each of these teams and some really poor moments. I have to imagine the difference in this ball game comes down to quarterback play. Jaden Daniels and Anthony Richardson, both very athletic, capable guys. Who can make more plays in the passing game, right? Who who can who can utilize their receivers? Because I think both teams have some some decent playmakers in yeah. the, the receiving position. Both kind of underutilized to this point, but that to me is going to be the question of the uh, outcome of this game: is quarterback play and and making some some plays through the air to to differentiate themselves from the other. No, I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. And and look, I think that probably favors the Florida Gators. I, I think Anthony Richardson has made more plays through the air. And obviously the Tennessee game is one that we saw a lot of them and they came in bulk, but both these quarterbacks got to grow. They got to read the defense. They got to get the ball out of their hands. They got to take chances and smart chances and they got to take shots. And so it's going, it's going to come down to that position. That's going to be the telltale of this game. All right. Two more real quick. Let's hit Mississippi state at Kentucky first Bulldogs are the four-point favorite here. That would have been a little crazy to hear preseason, but uh, what are we thinking? The two, by the way, has the two games we have left, it's impossible to handicap because we don't know what the quarterback situation is yeah. like. Like, Will Levis, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? We saw what Kentucky looks like without Will Levis. Uh, I think Will Levis is a difference maker. Obviously, Bryce Young is the ultimate in difference makers as we get into that game, but difficult to tell here. Uh, Mississippi State has not had much success in Starkville. In fact, in this in the series, the home team yeah. has really dominated in recent years. I think it's uh, this is uh, it's been three three tries, uh, four tries, three in a row for for Kentucky in in Lexington. Uh, but the equalizing factor with the quarterback position, how do you look at it? 
Okay, so this is going to be kind of going back into maybe my memory bank too many times. This is a game that Mike Leach builds his team up, like be it at Texas Tech, Washington State, or Mississippi State, and you're like, okay, this is the game that they fully embrace being a true contender, and they drop. Yeah. I mean, don't don't we have that kind of – now they've won big games, don't get me wrong, but it's like we've had this play out before for them, and it feels like they get to this certain point, and then they drop a game against a good team, but a team that they should go out there – I shouldn't say – Maybe should, but they're favorite. They're four point favorite, right? And they just, for whatever reason, don't show up. And I can't get that out of the back of my mind. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm, they're, they're they're going in a different direction than Kentucky for mm-hmm. sure over the last couple of games. But I've just I've seen this play out before, and that's just something that I can't forget for whatever reason. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on the history of of the series. I'm with you on the history of of Mike Leach coach teams. This is a chance to, to shed that label, yeah. to shed that that sort of reputation. Um, I do think that um, I feel better about Mississippi State right now, but that doesn't mean that with Will Levis in there that uh, Kentucky can't get a victory. I, I'm holding on this one. Um, I, there could be a potential best bet opportunity, but I'd like to know Ooh. a little bit more about okay, what okay, the okay. quarterback situation is going to be before I commit. All right, that is completely fair. Actually, I mean, by the way, it's a game that I'm looking forward to. Um, it's a ranked matchup. It's between two teams that you and I were both high on in the preseason. Can't wait to see how this plays out. I hope they are at full strength. That just adds to a fantastic slate that we had this weekend. And the finisher in this slate is the game of the weekend, college football, Big Terp. What game could we possibly be talking about? That would be Tennessee, Alabama. And I've, I always say, man, I just want Tennessee to become a powerhouse again because I feel like I've been robbed of that. I've never really seen it. So I think this is the biggest Alabama, Tennessee. Hey, look at me. I'm young. Memory. I'm a young guy. I don't remember 1998 and T. I got a nice beard. <laughs> well, it's because I'm not skinny, CD. <laughs> that's what I was alluding to. Oh, that's all right. Um, I'll say this. It, it, again, I'm not ready to put my pick on record yet because right. we don't know what Bryce Young uh, and I think it's a huge obviously it's not going out on a limb to say hey man the Heisman Trophy winner plays yeah. it's a different game but the susceptibility of the Tennessee secondary if they're able to to have Bryce Young in the lineup the passing game is a huge uh, aspect of, of how Alabama will be able to attack Tennessee um, the, the, the box score last week Milrow Completing 12 passes. Like, when was the last time we saw an <coughs> Again, getting choked up here. An Alabama box score have 12 completions in a ball game. Yeah. Been a long time. So it, it is a big factor. But I, I think there's a lot of people out there that are wanting to pick Tennessee, whether they believe it or whether they're ready for a, a new team to kind of take over in the SEC, much like last year. But it, it reminds me of leading up to the SEC championship game where everybody was on the Georgia train and nobody was really given Alabama much of an opportunity to win that game. That was a position. I think that, that Alabama really relished from Nick Saban all the way down. And we, we saw how that played out. It yeah. was a, 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 a rant on the post game press conference about how yummy the, the rat poison was. And I think, I think Alabama's enjoying this opportunity as well. So I, I'm leaning Alabama right now, and that may even be without Bryce Young, but I'd like to see if he's going to play in this game first before committing. All I can say about this game, because I'm not ready to give a pick either, Tennessee's ready for this moment. 
I, I truly believe that last year they were close to being ready for that moment and they hung in that game for a long time, a, a big portion of that game. But at the end, they weren't ready for that. They're yeah. ready for it now. Will it be enough to win? I haven't gotten there yet. But hosting this game, they've been waiting on this game. They they have the playmakers that aren't afraid to make the winning play in this game. And I think they have the quarterback, as we've talked about, in Hendon Hooker. But I think Brew McCoy and others at that receiver position have gotten some great, valuable time yep. with Tillman out of the game. So, like, all of those reasons, I think – I think we're talking about a Tennessee team that can't seize the moment. Now, being ready to do it and going into it, that's two different things. But I expect them to give their best effort a four-quarter football game. Even if Bryce Young plays, this is going to be a four-quarter football game. I can't wait to watch it. I won't miss a play. I'm going to rewatch it on the All-22. This is one of those games, and it's the reason why we love the SEC so much, three versus six. And that's in one poll. I mean, the other poll, Alabama's one. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? So – the number one team in the country going on the road with a chance to, to, you know, face a really quality, in my opinion, top five football team, sign me up for every single play. The cheapest ticket to get into this game, the cheapest one to get into Neyland, $328. You're talking about the nosebleeds, one singular ticket, $328. They are ready for this moment. They've been waiting on it as well. They are going to party in Knoxville leading into this game. And if they win, it ain't going to stop till Monday. Hey, real quick, you talked about the Vols being ready for this moment. Sometimes you can be too ready for it. And I think that's the thing that I worry about a little bit is you pour too much emotion into the game and you lose a little bit of the focus because you're you're so hyped up for it. And, And that's something I think championship teams, Alabama doesn't do, but how how is is Tennessee able to control their emotions? How are they able to hang in there? If things go well or if things go poorly, Coach Burry used to talk to all the time to us about playing a 60-minute game, not getting caught up in the ebbs and flows of the game, but being able to to play even keeled for the entirety of the four-quarter ball game. And I, I hope that that Tennessee is able to have that composure throughout, despite how despite how much emotion right. that they're investing into it. All right, it is one we are definitely looking forward to. I mean, it's not the only game. I mean, we have gone down the slate of games we have here in the SEC. We've got six or seven ranked matchups in all of college football. Week seven is popping off and showing out right now. Can't wait to recap some of these games coming up on week eight in that episode of pre-gaming the SEC. Remember, always brought to you by Walk On Sports Bistro Online. It's walk owns dot com we'd love for you to subscribe to our youtube page big turk does a great job of putting those videos out there search us on youtube pre-gaming the sec you'll find it there on spotify and apple go ahead and like and subscribe to the pods as well this has been a fun one as it always is we will see you the same time same place well you know we say that who knows when we actually (laughs) get a chance to record this because we all have 97 shows but hey This is the one that we love and is near and dear. So we'll see you next week on pre-gaming the SEC.